listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. As always, I've got a real treat for you, someone who I've become friends with over the last couple of months and have really enjoyed spending time with all in an online capacity, but that's the wonders of the internet and the modern world is it doesn't matter where you are, we can help each other out and connect and grow friendships. But before we dive into this episode, just do have a little bit of housekeeping and notifications to give you guys. So I've been asked by the podcast manager, Michael, you've got to ask all the listeners to like and or rate the podcast. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music or where it is you listen to this podcast, please just give us a couple of stars. Hopefully, we're worth five stars to you and leave a couple of kind words about your experience. That would really help us get the word out there about this podcast. And likewise, if you know another guitar teacher or a music teacher into building a business, then of course, we would appreciate a referral. We are also coming up on episode number 50, and we've got a very special promotion. We want to speak to 50 guitar teachers and get 50 guitar teaching tips for episode number 50. So please get in touch via the link wherever you're listening to this or check us out on our social media for the process on how to submit. So it doesn't matter whether you've been teaching for one month or 10 years or anything above or beyond or in between. We want to hear some of your best guitar teaching tips. And of course, you can submit that to us via the link that will be accompanying this podcast. But without any further ado, guys, we have a very special guest, a real treat for you today. This is somebody who is the owner of the Miami Guitar Academy. He is the founder behind Streetwise Guitar on both YouTube and Instagram. And he has taught in a number of different universities around the country, around the United States, and maybe a few more he might tell me. And he's currently at the Miami International University. Professor O'Kane, or Padraig as we like to call him, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So we've only known each other for, I guess we've probably been uh, friends or connected on Facebook and just had the occasional comment every now and then for the last year or two. But since connecting through Guitar Ninjas and the Six Figure Program, I've come to really know you a lot better and, and just really appreciate all the wonderful things you're doing. So for the listeners who don't know you as well as I do, can you give us a brief background about your overview and, and journey as a guitar player and guitar teacher and, and all the projects you've got going on? Well, I started guitar when I was six years old and then quit guitar and thought I was going to be a, um, a Harley Davidson mechanic and then really realized very quickly that I wasn't a very talented mechanic. So um, I started back with guitar in, in my early 20s and I, and I had my eyes set on going to a music performance school. From there, I went through the school and ended up teaching at that school that I went to which was at the time, in my opinion, um, and I maybe a little, I'm maybe a little bit biased, but it was the best performance studio music and jazz performance school in the world at that time. So it was a really great place, and um, 
uh, treacherous place to be at simultaneously. And then from there, I, that's when I started my, that's when I started teaching. That's awesome. So let me just dive right in there. Is ha- roughly how long between when you quit guitar and when you got back into it? When I say I quit, I, I, I kind of stopped. I just stopped playing. I mean, I always had one around and I would play the one, literally the one blues lick that I had. Um, I, I'd say I stopped playing between ages 15 and 18. So I just didn't do, I didn't do anything. And, um, and before that, I really, I didn't have a teacher or anything like that. It was just, you know, spanking it a bit. The guitar that is. Yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners will be really reassured to, you know, hear that it wasn't until a bit later, some point in your twenties that you actually made the decision to go back into music. Cause I know a lot of people are constantly questioning whether they're good enough or, uh, Hey, I want to do this, but maybe a career as a musician doesn't pay as well as being a motorcycle mechanic or various other professions that we can do. But to hear the fact that you've kind of got into it a little bit later than most people who are from the start, yep, I'm going to go into this career pathway and, and merge onto there. So what helped you make that decision to go back and do music? The story is, is quite simple. My friend, Dave, was a guitar player or is a guitar player. And he decided to go to music school too. And he had been playing and then he said, hey, let me show you this card. And he played a C major seven card. And I thought, I can do that. I I definitely can do that. I've been playing longer than Dave has. And so I played the C major seven card and he showed me a few other jazz cards. And I I, I was like, you know, I need to make a very, very hard left turn and go to music school because it's the only way I was going to get into college. Like I was very, very poor in, in school beyond it's, it's actually astonishing that I became a professor. I mean, I was the the bottom of the bottom and, um, it was because I saw my friend do it. I just thought, why don't I do it? I know that my, um, my, my parents would have been, would be thrilled that I wanted to actually go to school. So that's what I did. Yeah, it's one of those amazing turnaround stories, isn't it? Like where the worst student becomes one of the best teachers, <laughs> the stuff movies are made out of. Not only was I a worst student, um, before I had gone to Harley-Davidson Mechanic School, I had failed out of community college. So I, when I started back in, um, I knew exactly which university I wanted to go to. And I went to this particular community college because I knew I wouldn't have to take any maths. So... Um, I I went there. I kind of custom tailored my um, my curriculum, but I started with a negative average. I started with four zeros, you know, four four Fs, as I would say, and um, and I was able to lift up my um, my average high enough to be eligible to get into the the program at University of Miami. Fantastic and. Oh, obviously, things are a, a, a little bit different here, and depending on where our listeners are in the world, the, the college systems all work slightly differently. But do you think with the the bad student thing, was that just a, a lack of motivation, and then you finally had something to work towards? You know, in your inspiration for guitar, that sort of changed things around. I was an abused student by my teachers. Um, I was I was ridiculed. I had problems with uh, with doing you know word problems. But I was very talented as a musician. I had a lot of bad influences from, from the teachers. And it just made me say, you know, forget this. I'm not interested. This is not giving me any joy. It's, I don't see any long-term benefit from being good at school. So I just didn't do it. 
and I don't have an aptitude for maths. Yeah, and I know there's just so much has changed. Like back then it used to be there's one way of doing things and you either pass the test or you don't. But now a lot more research is showing all the different learning styles and you know, give each student what they need to succeed rather than just having the same set of success principles or success rules for them. So, yeah, it sounds like you really got the raw end of the stick. Uh, oh, I got the stick all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can tell you this, that um, in the, uh, the teacher training that they periodically must give you in schools, they're definitely, as you mentioned, learning styles, there have been many online courses that they make you take which discuss that so that is definitely in vogue well, at least you can sort of like if for those of you listening at home Patrick's sort of smiling his way through this so it's good they can have a laugh about a few things and i'm sure you've got plenty of great stories to come out yet so uh you've gotten into your community or you into your college you're studying music where's the story go from here I have to say that during that entire time that when I was, when I'd stopped playing guitar, um, I was writing songs. I just wouldn't write it on the guitar. So it's not like I quit music. So there was always this, how would you say, like a few different streams of activity that I was doing in terms of mu musicianship and music. I was a very active listener. I, I was writing songs. I was very interested in songwriting. And at the same time, I was having to acquire this new language, which was the jazz language, um, because that was the only way to get into that program. So while I was in school, at least the first three years, I was really, really focused on just survival. The school was extremely tough. It was like the Marines or the Navy SEALs of music school. There were a, you had to take a lot of classes. They were worth very few credits. And it was a very, very big challenge. So my songwriting stopped during those years for sure. And after I managed to finish school, oh, and I should say that everybody at the school there seemed like they were professional, like high-level professional guys. And that is something that has changed, I think, pretty drastically between then and now because now a lot of the schools are not focused on the arts the arts are not supported music music programs are not supported and henceforth you don't have guys or you don't have many guys or girls that became very accomplished during the high school ages so henceforth you have people going into going into university that are not at a level that they were in the past. I mean, there are still great players. There will always be great players that are going into universities. And that is because of opportunity. I, I believe it's because of opportunity. And a lot of times that, that there are times when people, not times, there are people who don't have the resources and counted on high schools and the like to have music programs and they became good that way. So it's kind of like in a lot of instances, there are talented people who have come from families that have resources and they kind of move along at a quicker rate because they have access to the teachers. Now that's, I find some really great stuff in there. One thing that I picked out from what you just said was having to learn the language of jazz. And that was something that really 
was a huge hurdle for me. And I went through high school. I didn't start playing guitar until I was 15, but from day one, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was told, yeah, if you want to be a guitar player, you're not going to make any money. So you need to become a teacher as well and do your music class in high school and then go to university and then try and do your band stuff by night, but teach by day. I found it extremely hard going from a a high school system where I essentially had to learn songs to play for a test and learn some specific things to pass a test to then go to a jazz degree where I had to learn the language of jazz and improvise at a, a university level. And I was just totally not prepared. I think my teachers, and, and luckily they did let me in because otherwise, who knows, we not, might not be listening to this podcast at this point in time. My teachers obviously saw something in me that I was going to work hard and do it. But man, I, I went from being you know the best guitar player in high school, the Eddie Van Halen kid, to the worst guitar player at university. Uh, and I just was not prepared and I probably had no place in that course because I'd only been playing for two and a half years at that point. Uh, and it was a really, really rude awakening for me. So I found that really tough to the point where when I came out at the other side, I kind of just abandoned jazz altogether, partly because I was playing in bands and, and doing the whole heavy metal thing, which is why I started playing guitar in the first place. But now that I've sort of matured on beyond that, it's this love of this elusive jazz sound, which I'm going back to pursuing. But it just made me think of that because I felt 100% in retrospect, I just was not ready for, for that course, at least the degree. And I could have done some smaller qualifications, but... Yeah, I don't know how I got in. Maybe it was they saw the future in me, but here we are now. So I'm glad it happened the way it happened. Well, you, you mentioned something that's, that brought back some memories. We did have quite a few students, as I recall, that were ace players in their high school. And when they came to um, UM, they were nothing. And there, there were all kinds of meltdowns <laughs> You know, uh, a lot of kids had a really hard time with that that reality. Some people copped on and they, you know, put their nose to the grindstone and they tried to catch up. Some people came in with big egos and then, then they thought that, you know, the, the instructors had it out for them. And there was a myriad of things that spun off from being the best guy in your small hometown and then going to where there's like professional level players. Yeah. It's all uh, the melting pot of all the different walks of life. And uh, yeah, like from my perspective, it was never a, I thought I was good, but it was never an ego thing. Cause I was always on this quest to become better and this, you know, thirst for knowledge and improving. So it was never like, I felt like the teachers had it out for me. It was very obvious that I needed to work on lots of different things. And I was loving every minute of learning. I suppose it was the never getting chosen as being the first choice for other people to, hey, we need a guitar player to join the ensemble for my performance. That was always, you know, being last or I don't know how I can say yes to one more thing because I'm already struggling to keep up with my own personal practice. So I don't know how I'm going to go and do that. But yeah, that was just my experience. But yeah, I see it all the time in my own students saying, hey, I want to go to university next year. And it's like, well, well, you better start working pretty hard to get up to scratch because it's going to be a really rude awakening. Yes. I have a student like that right now who um, first came to me and was um, said, hey, I need you to, to prep me for my, my university audition. It's in a month and a week. <laughs> are, are you joking me? Really? This is, I, I, I said, I, I'm always very, very straightforward. And I was like, this, I have to be very frank with you. I think it's highly unlikely. 
And then, it, you know, he goes, no, no, let's just go for it. Let's go for it. And then on, you know, the 30th day, he was like, yeah, this is not going to happen. I said, this is a blessing actually in disguise that we're going to have an entire year to go, you know, to try and get it together. And he's going to need that every every one of those 365 days. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are in the same boat going that we've all had that one student that has a, a test or an exam that has the impossible deadline and, you know, they're going to race towards it. As teachers, we often know better. Sometimes you get surprising results or people manage to scrape through or um, it's sometimes a good experience for them. But yeah, it's a very tough position to be in as a teacher. Does it, to, do you break their heart now or do you let them uh, trial by fire? You don't necessarily want to have them fail the trial by fire. <laughs> oh, no, no. Especially in, in this instance, the person has already failed. They already did the audition once and they were denied. So I'm, I mean, I, you know, it's pretty obvious. I stress the fact that you don't want to get known there. Not yet. Not this way. You know, you want to get known as, the, as, oh, wow, look at that improvement. You know, not, oh, wow, he still sucks. And I think uh, it's good that you say it that way because a lot of teachers would be like, no, we can never put our students down like that or we've got to be overly positive or things like that. But no, I think a lot of us could do a lot better to actually just be real about the situation. And the fact that you said, yeah, no one wants to, we can all bomb out at one audition. Yeah, that's fine. That's part of life. There's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. There's going to be people who do well and blow the examiners away. There's going to be people who they go, yeah, I can see your potential. Maybe you just go and work at it. But yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You don't want to bomb out the first time and then bomb out again the next year. And then like they don't even want to listen to you the third time or you get that reputation. So I think it's really important to be realistic about the expectations and realize that just like we have our best students and our worst students, we want to recommend our best students to these places to get our own reputations up there, as opposed to just feeding them these kind of people that bomb. And then that reflects poorly on the student, but it also reflects poorly on you as a teacher. Yeah, they're going to see your name uh, when, the, when, the, when the kid lists, lists the teacher. <laughs> they're going to see Michael Gumley and they're going to be oh, another guy from this guy. Oh, come on. And then, you know, so they're already going, you know, the, the adjudicators are already going it, into it with a um, negative attitude. But um, you did mention something about, you know, being honest and, or, and truthful with students. The art of dropping the boom, <laughs> the art of the boom, there is an art to it because you never know how, how much you're going to have to dial it up because sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. And they could get aggressive. So that is a rare thing, but it can happen. It's happened to me before. And you have to be prepared to soften it immediately when it happens, unless you unless your goal is to escalate it into a all out, you know, verbal conversation. But something I didn't mention, when I was um when I was in school, I became ill, I had cancer. I had Hodgkin's disease and going through the whole chemo thing and the emotional trauma of that for me, it was an emotional trauma. It was tough. And I was just, and I got dumped the day before I, um, before I found out it was sick. So I already had an edge. And as I went through that treatment, I had more of an edge. I was very, very tough on my students. And, um, 
And again, I was in a culture where people were very tough. They were very, they were brutal. You were either, as one of my professors said, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. You want to be part of the solution. And he would let you know if you were part of the problem. And, um, and it was, it was really rough. So I was really rough on my students too. And as I wouldn't say that I've mellowed over, over the time, I would say I've gotten a lot smarter. I've gotten a lot smarter because there's a time and a place for that. And, um, you, you also have to be very careful what comes out of your mouth when you're at school. Yeah. Especially these days, <laughs> especially these days. Yeah. But I mean, it was, um, these days people might be, we could kind of generally say it's they're maybe a little bit more sensitive to any kind of aberration or ripple that's going to happen. I'm kind of thinking of, uh, just touching on this thing of if we're talking about people in school, not only are they students enrolled there, but they're also a human walking two hundred plus thousand uh, dollar meal ticket for that institution. So that's something to consider too. Um, so when you cause a problem, you're causing a problem in the pockets of you know certain people. So that's a really interesting point there. I do want to just peel back a tiny bit. You mentioned something about being the problem or the solution. So is that something where how I interpreted what you said was there might be too many mediocre musicians going into these colleges or rather than let the the quality or the the caliber of player drop, you need to be a bit harder on people or at least hold a certain standard. Is that sort of what you were implying there or um, the the beauty of that that um that sentiment is that you can apply it to any number of scenarios. I'm thinking, I was just thinking of something as simple as the bass player is not keeping good time, but you, uh, you, you expanded it into a, into something different. And yes, that could be, it could be applicable to that as well. Definitely. Now you have taught at several universities and the last person I, I interviewed who taught at a university was Frank Gambali back in episode, I think, number 10 or 11 when we first launched this. So he obviously came from Australia, went to MIT over in Hollywood, or GIT back in the day. And then after a year, they made him the the professor there as well and, and taught everyone. So how did you go about landing your first position? And from my understanding, you've had a few of these uh, university positions around the country. So do you want to tell us a bit more about your positions, how you got them, and some insights from being a teacher in the college system? Yes, I'll just tell you the two main ones. The University of Miami thing happened because um, I was assigned graduate assistant teachers and I wasn't happy with them. There was one guy, though, at school who seemed to be playing all of the recitals. It's what it felt like. I think he had played over 50 senior recitals. Well, think about that. A guy who went through four years but played on 50 senior recitals so you had to do a senior recital that was the last thing you did and it was a big deal a really big deal so i thought why don't i take lessons with this guy so i asked him to take lessons i asked if i could take lessons he thought it was an unusual request but he took me on as a student and um and we became friends we became good friends he was also the first call session session guy here 
there was, then he decided I'm going to move to Los Angeles and he was teaching at University of Miami. And he said, Hey, would you like, you know, would you like me to recommend you to Randall Dollahan? And I said, sure. So I had to do an audition and it was because of who I knew that I got that position. Many years later, 17 years later, I got the position at Miami International University because my friend was teaching at Miami. Yeah, he was teaching at Miami International University, MIU. And um, it was because of him I got that job. Well, not, not he, it's because of him I got the interview. So it is totally who you know, unless you have the equalizer. And the equalizer is marquee value. If you have a name, if you've um, recorded a bunch of records or taught at a bunch of schools, like the top schools, that's also has a lot of value. Yeah. So that knowing the right person is what gets your foot in the door. But of course, you've still got to have all the, the knowledge and skill and reputation to be able to get yourself through that interview and, and beat out the other candidates. There's a lot of shenanigans. How about that? There's a lot of shenanigans that go on with the hiring process. Um, one, one example I could think of was they needed a new piano chair, jazz piano chair. So I, I'd heard that they're doing a search. The search is mandatory. They have to advertise and they have to accept applicants too. So on the outside, you could think, wow, this looks really fair. Everybody's going to be treated fairly. But we don't know how people are being treated behind closed doors. They pick favorites. They, um, so they a lot of times go with the devil they do know as opposed to the devil they don't know. It, but in this one instance, in this one story that I'm thinking about, the great keyboard player, Alan Pasqua, who played with Alan Holdsworth and on tons of sessions, he has a huge, huge resume and he was teaching in either in UCLA or USC. and for some reason, all of a sudden, Alan Pasquale is coming to University of Miami. And I was thinking, like, what wow, famous guy is, you know, in, the, in that circle, a famous guy is coming to audition at University of Miami? This is weird. This is so weird. And he played, of course, his playing was, you know, absolutely brilliant. And, um, and then he left. He taught like a class or something. I wasn't there for that, but I did see him play. And then he left. And then he didn't get the gig. And I was like, how could he not have gotten the gig? That doesn't make any sense. Then I found out that at least this was the, the this is an old story. So I don't think I'm outing anybody or anything, but that he wanted to, there was something that wasn't right at USC. I don't want to uh, say what I think it is. Um, or you could pretty much know what it probably had to do with, um, either getting tenure or money. That's usually why people wander. And, um, so he took the, um, the invite to come to university of Miami to audition, but in fact was most likely using that to leverage his situation in California. So he never came to university of Miami. And that was no surprise to anybody else except me. But that's just because I was green. And then I hear that this stuff happens all the time. Like, let's say 
I'm not, I'm not saying this was Alan's situation. So Alan, please don't contact me. Uh, you're great, by the way. I love your playing. Uh, uh, so I, I, I think that this, like I said, it happens all the time where, oh, I was going to give the example of myself. Let's say um, I wanted to get tenure at the current university that I teach at but they wouldn't give it to me. So uh, then I threaten them and I say, oh yeah, well, uh, Boston Berkeley's um, holding auditions. I think I'm going to go show up over there and um, let them hear me and let them see me teach and look at my resume. And then hopefully, you know, I'm thinking that the school that I'm teaching at is going to say, oh, don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We need you. We love you. Here's your tenure. Or maybe we can adjust your salary or something like that. That stuff happens often. I'm convinced it happens often. I, I, prove me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that stuff is going on all the time, whether it's music or whether it's you know sports. Just, uh, I'm speaking to a couple other teams at the moment. So, oh, and um, wait a second, let, me add, let me add this too. Sometimes they'll bring in, let's say, an Alan Pasqua and um, – you know, I'm just throwing out names. This is not accurate. You know, Lyle Mays, RIP, Brad Meldow. And then they had no intention of, 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 of accepting those guys. They're going to use like uh, Barry Johnson. They're a really good friend, you know, and they're going to hire him. But they can say they followed the legal proceed, the legal requirements of bringing in three candidates. Um, and yet they went with somebody who was like, their star in the jazz band, you, you know, 10 years ago, and maybe they have a few records on Concord or something like that. I'm talking about, this is all jazz lingo. If you're unfamiliar with the Concord, the big jazz label. And, um, and then they'll just hire this other guy. So that's, that's a reality. Yeah. They just go through all the, um, the legal formalities and rigmarole of keeping the bureaucracy happy and then just go with the option they were always going to do anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's really great to hear these insights from you know how universities run from someone who's on the inside. Uh, now we had a bit of a chat yesterday, I think it was, uh, and some of the downsides of teaching in a university came out. So uh, a lot of people go, "Oh, the coolest thing I could possibly do, or the pinnacle of teaching, is getting one of these university positions." So, what would you have to say about that from your experience? And what are some things you've come to realize being in these positions that many people overlook? The downside. I can tell. I can tell you about the downside. I can tell you what I think you need to do if you want to be successful in this biz. In, in that biz, most positions that are offered are part time. Part time does not mean you're on the track to getting full time. That is the reality, folks. It's it's an amazing, amazing feeling when they say when a university that you respect or maybe one that you have gone to or one that you're currently in that you're getting ready to graduate from uh, when they say, um, Hey, why don't you become a part of the faculty? I mean, it's an incredible feeling. There's, and, and if you have dreams of being a teacher, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's like a massive feather in your cap to say, I teach at a university. I've taught at a university. I've taught at a recognized university. I've taught at a, a university that was that that has been in downbeat magazines so many times that if you had all of those magazines you you wouldn't be able to pick them up it's it's an incredible feeling but then that feeling passes and you're you're left with the reality 
of being a part-time employee. And that is a downside if you want to have a career. Now, that doesn't mean that if there aren't certain situations where you're a part-time employee and they say, hey, Mr. Gumley, you know, you're doing a good job here. Why don't we um, have you jump on for full-time? So remember, full-time doesn't mean tenured either. Full-time could be a yearly contract. It could also be a semesterly contract too. So that means <laughs> that means they can get rid of you at any point. So most, by, I should also mention that most tenure tracks um, have closed, and a lot of people are on this yearly contract thing. So in a sense, you get hired every year, and that's um, that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing if you're looking to have a, you know, have a family or have a life and an income that you can depend on. You know, essentially you're fired every year, not fired, but you're let go every year. And then they, you sign the contract again. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really scary reality. I know, um, where I studied, there was somebody who they had a new teacher starting the year that I, I started and the head of guitar was like, Oh yeah, we used to have so-and-so who was really, really good. Da da da. And then what happened is they updated the legislation and he no longer, after teaching there for 22 years or something, he was no longer qualified to teach the same job he'd been teaching for 22 years and then didn't get, couldn't get his contract reviewed, had to go back and you know do another three-year teaching degree in order to keep doing the job he'd already been doing. So that's just something else to be aware of. At least that's what's happening a lot in Australia is often the legislation will change. And this has been an ongoing problem um, for many experienced university teachers who they do their part-time hours, their sessional work or, or things like that, and they, they perform part-time. And that's a, a good gig because it serves their financial means while still allowing them the freedom to play and perform. But then all of a sudden, after having that stability for a couple of years and building up a great reputation, then the university goes, oh, you know what? You're not actually qualified for this position. So go and study for another two or three years or find another job, or you will have to find another job during that study period as well. So that's something, that's the first thing I thought of when you told me that, that tenured position there. Yeah, and you, you also brought to another memory back, and that is I knew of a guy who was a PhD. He had a full-time gig at the university. He was loved by everybody. He, was, um, uh, he did all the right things. He published. He, he just did all the right things. And he applied for tenure, and they denied him. Now, after they deny you, you only have, um, I believe, at least – if I can remember correctly, you have the rest of the semester left and then you're out. Like you're out of a job, you're out of that place. And there was no recourse. The guy was, um, you know, uh, like I said, a really, really great professor. Gone. Served his time, served a lot of time. Yeah, that's a real shame. And that kind of ties back to what you said earlier about the fact that every student is worth a certain amount to the, the universities. And at the end of the day, they are businesses uh, and they do have to cover certain costs. They do have to deliver on things. And unfortunately, sometimes uh, when the, the numbers on the spreadsheet uh, indicate one thing that's uh, not measured in the tangible uh, or more tangibly than something like, you know, student interaction or the reputation they build or things like that, uh, a really good teacher can be let go or, and it can do a great disservice to the, students and the faculty in the, the place. And, you know, maybe, maybe they just secretly disliked this guy. He was a very agreeable guy, but he, maybe they secretly disliked him, you know, the higher-ups, 
And they were like, there's no way we're going to lock this guy into a forever position. So we're going to deny him. We'll deal with what happens. It'll pass. And you know, the sad thing is, is yes, a lot of people get upset and, um, and it's a big deal for the person who's losing their position. But if you go, if, if you're an outsider, not a, if you're not involved in their, in the administration and the, that professor who is applying for tenure, if you're not involved in that thing, when the guy leaves, the, the campus goes on. The campus goes on. People are hurt a little bit emotionally or a lot of it. And, but the, but the machine keeps churning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's very cold basically. Yeah. That's a, that's a real shame, but that's just something that when you guys have your own businesses and a lot of our listeners at home will be listening to this is, you know, what difference are you going to make in your own business? Are you going to keep some employees long-term or if you're a solo teacher, how can you have that impact on your students and nurture that connection over one year, five years, a decade, even longer? So all really, really important things. And hopefully some of our listeners who've been thinking about going to university, not to dissuade anyone from trying to get these positions, but sometimes realize that they're not necessarily all they're uh, you know, cut out to be. And uh, I won't repeat the story here, but uh, even my university teacher, you know, although he liked teaching guitar and doing that, what he really wanted to do was go out and perform and tour the world. And because he was stuck in one of these university jobs, uh, he wasn't able to do that which is a really, really unfortunate. But Patrick, I've got one final question for you today. And what is one? I'm sorry, I wanted to add one thing. I I mean, we talked about downsides. I want to just add what to do to actually survive. It it, it is, uh, not only is it a popularity contest when you go there, you have to be an emollient. You have to be the guy who is um, helping out beyond your job description. You have to publish you have to try and get yourself into a music journal, any kind of magazine, online magazine, anything like that. But definitely um, music journal is really significant because it's hard to get into that. And record, make a record, make records, be a guest clinician. I mean, you can't get the job and then just sit on your hands. It, then you, you will be sitting outside of the school as well. I never understood that publish thing, but that, that old expression, publish or perish, it's, it's very important. Actually, it's um, what I would consider the baseline. Like, you have to do that today. Everybody knows it. You have to have a YouTube channel. You have to record. You have to look. You have to do gigs. Look like you're playing. Like, if, if you're trying to be an instrumental teacher at the university level, do that. And by the way, I created a video on my uh, cheap plug here. I created a video on my uh, uh, Streetwise guitar channel called the 20 top survival tips for professors and teachers. And you absolutely should check that out. Probably should have mentioned that at the top. <laughs> Maybe people are asleep right now, but you definitely should check that. And there's um, an ancillary um, edition with six bonus tips. I mean, everyone is gold, really. It's, if you want to be an educator, or if you're an educator, if you're in your own private business, if you're at a school, if you have a desire to go to a school, watch this video. Some of the stuff is common sense. Some of the stuff is, um, you know, uh, little hidden secrets. That's awesome. And I think a lot of our listeners, again, they're guitar teachers and music teachers who've 
come from a gamut of different experience and, and backgrounds, but not necessarily all of them have been teaching in the same kind of positions you have. So it's really valuable to hear the insights and again, to hear that there's some really, really great things about teaching these, these positions. And there's a lot of these things which the, the glow of these positions sort of keep you blind to some of the other, you know, not so great things about these. But Patrick, before we wrap it up uh, in today's episode, where can our listeners find and connect with you online? Um, on IG or in Instagram, it's Streetwise Guitar. And the same is the, that is the same address on YouTube. If you want to, if you, if you want to write me, you can get, you can DM me on Instagram. So guys, check out that. We'll also post all the links to Patrick's social media accounts and website. If you're looking for guitar lessons in Miami, he's also the man to speak to at the Miami Guitar Academy there. And Patrick will definitely get you on. We've had to cut this one a little bit short because of the technical difficulties at the start, but we still got a whole bunch of really cool questions we want to ask you. So we'll have a part two to follow this one up at the earliest opportunity. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoy the podcast or you get any benefit from this episode, from speaking to Professor O'Kane or any of our previous episodes. Please give us a, a rating of as many stars as you can. Five would be fantastic. I would love you a long time if you do that. Then of course, we are coming up on our 50th episode. So if you have a guitar teaching tip and you want it shared on the podcast, either submit in writing your tip and I'll read it out. Or if you want to do an audio file or a video file, send that through. We'll provide you with a link uh, at the bottom of this podcast. And hopefully we can help you celebrate, help you can help us celebrate episode number 50. So Patrick, on behalf of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Community, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have you back in a couple of weeks for part number two. And for everyone else tuning in at home, thank you so much. See you next time, guys. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.